I grew up on a farm in Pumalanga and my father farmed with timber and cattle and he had a piggery and as a marketer I was always more interested in adding value in or finding opportunities to add value to what my dad was doing um, rather than being interested in the farm and I think that's probably one of the reasons I'm not in the farm anymore because I couldn't really find something that really added value. I made, I started a little door factory when I was at university and we cut up some of the um, the timber and you know, made wooden doors and I sold those in to the local trading stores. But uh, with me today is somebody who's really successfully added value to his farm. And I want to welcome Andre von Hierden. Welcome, Andre. Thank you, Olga. Andre is a macadamia farmer and Liji farmer in Hazyview, and it's Pumalanga, hey? Yes. And yeah, he is obviously here because there is an angle to the story, and that angle normally involves some sort of a drink. Um, Andre bought his farm nearly 20 years ago. Yes, indeed. And 2002 we bought it. 2002, and Andre was still, he was still living in the city, I think? Indeed, we did. We lived in Johannesburg. At in Johannesburg, okay. And what were you doing out there? Well, I was in business. I'm, I'm uh, trained in law, but uh, mm. at that time I was uh, involved with Vodacom uh, okay. in, in the telecoms business. In the telecoms, yeah. And how did, and, and you bought the farm just uh, purely recreation or... Yes, um, my my wife was a landscaper in Johannesburg and she had always pined to grow roses on a bigger scale than she could in our garden in in, in the city and uh, so on on a some Sunday afternoon trip we uh, we drove into this farm that was for sale and got stuck and had to uh, to wake the farmer from his uh, Sunday afternoon lum- slumber and uh, and and ask him to uh, extractors from from the mud oh you got stuck as in in the mud in the mud <laughs> and uh, and so we felt obliged to buy his farm <laughs> uh, was, it, was it a big for sale sign then? there was a for sale sign that's why we drove in and yeah, it was okay. raining at the time and, and we, we we had an old uh, land cruiser but it it uh, it wasn't up for the task and so and we were city slickers and and so we knew too little about getting ourselves out and uh, he eventually got his TLB out and uh, and got us out, but uh, uh, he, he was a bit uh, he was a bit uh, grumpy. Uh, so we we then uh, got into negotiations with him and bought the farm. And the idea was to to have kind of a retirement plan mm. um, and and something to do uh, for ills when uh, when the kids went left school mm. uh, and and that was the plan in 2002 and and it wasn't until 2009 that we would that we moved down full-time to the farm okay and uh, to I mean you don't just drive around and look for a farm so or were you, were you no 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 absolutely not I, I had no intention of farming okay I, I, I wasn't you're I wasn't a, a farmer. You're, you're a lawyer, legal person. Exactly. I was in business in Johannesburg, quite happy with my lot, and and uh, uh, we uh, we were fortunate that we we got into the the cell phone industry quite early when there was huge upside, and okay. um, 
and with that we were able to 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 develop the farm uh, and with and the money from the sulfur exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly and so so that helped of course uh, we we initially uh, had lots of mangoes on the farm and we didn't know how to ripen and and stop them from rotting all at the same time and so we bulldozed those and 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 planted macadamias when when did you plant the macadamias that was back in uh, 2004 um, we we also inherited a lychee orchard mm. not big about uh, six hectares um, let's, let's talk about the macadamias because mm-hmm. they're really good money spinners aren't they the macadamias it takes a long time to come to maturity yeah. so you know the first five years you just have input costs then you start getting a little bit of return but it's not until year 10 that mm. that you start breaking even and and making a bit of money and and so from about 2013 14 it started paying for itself and and now it's a good crop you know yeah. it's so worldwide there's a massive demand for it yeah so it's it's probably a good i mean if you if you living in in the city and you've got a decent business it's quite a nice way to to build or invest in your farm if, you don't, if you don't need a return immediately yes uh, of course in in those days i i often joked with my neighbor farmers that uh, we don't understand how they can make a living because farming seemed like a bottomless pit um, and and we did we did invest quite quite substantially in, into the farm um, but but farming is a bit uh, uh, you know the old adage applies that uh, that you farm with the soles of your feet so yeah. so it's not until you you're really on the soil and, and and walk the orchards that you that you see what needs to be done what yeah and i mean i know from my dad again going back to my dad it was there was never any money and there was i mean obviously they invested everything back into the farm and when there was a uh, some timber to be sold it was sold and there was a lot of money around and then there was nothing for a long time if the cycle wasn't perfect Um, and it wasn't until my brother came back to the farm and he started a pecan nursery and he he obviously there was a big demand for pecan trees and he grew the pecan trees and he still does that when he you know he's been doing that for the last 20 years and that has really funded his expansion into buying land for for pecan orchards yes exactly yeah um and not far from here on the topanga where the topanga distillery is uh, greg hill has also got a a nursery for macadamias and they're right. all they're all pulling out the cane and uh, sticking in macadamias i think absolutely yeah no it's uh, macadamias has been a good crop uh, there's 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 some rumblings in the world but mm. But you know, it's like any other commodity. You you need to work hard at it and and get your marketing right. Yes, yeah. that's the big issue. And I think, uh, I mean, it just seems that China has just got an endless uh, demand for for nuts. China is huge in in terms of the demand for nuts. So, at the moment, um, probably about fifty percent of South Africa's macadamia crop uh, goes to China. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the other half goes into the developed world in, in kernel. Um, but uh, the Chinese have planted their own plantations and so in the next few years they will come into come on. they will come into uh, production. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, we've got we've got competition, uh, not only from them but from the Aussies as well. Yeah. My brother always says we'll import the cheap nuts from China and they'll 
buy the expensive, good quality nuts from South Africa. So that's, that's very true. true. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, tell us a little bit about your journey in the in the telecoms business. Um, the, the telecoms business we we started as an as an outreach program for returning exiles in the nineties. Um, I was involved with the Council of Churches in those days, and uh, and we were looking for ways in which to empower the returning exiles to find um, uh, find a, a reasonable uh, living, find find a way for them to to make money for themselves. So um, I was involved with with developing little businesses, cooperative businesses mostly for Council of Churches, um, and. <coughs> What, what sort of scale is this? Like a container somewhere in the Absolutely. rural area? Absolutely. These or? were uh, initially these were either containers in the rural areas, or if you remember, uh, these little blue boxes that, that were sitting on the street corners mm. uh, with uh, with uh, cell phones. Um, cell phones instead of the tiki box. Uh, correct. So that was a. Uh, it it was before per second billing came into being, okay. and uh, we were able to. Um, to cut down a minute billing into 15-second uh, increments and 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 sell that on or or the the vendors sell, sold it on to the to the users at the end users and it was a good model it it worked for 10 years very well okay and then everybody had a phone in their pocket then everybody could afford and mm. per second billing came in and it became a lot more competitive so yeah. that model then disappeared yeah I've got a friend who who was working as a for the um, the shipping ministry so here in Durban in the harbour so he would go down to the harbour and entertain initially the, all the German captains but right. it soon became all the Filipinos because there were less and less German people but it was a German mission for, for the seamen right okay and one of the brilliant business idea was uh, 20 years ago or in 1994 I think when cell phones came was to buy a cell phone you take it onto the ship and you, you charge 10 rand a minute or something and uh, I thought that was this is how we're going to get rich we're going <laughs> to we're going to have these cell phones and we're going to walk around go, anybody want to make a phone call I only charge 10 rand a minute um, it lasted for a few minutes and then <laughs> I guess every Filipino could afford a little little cell phone and a card and they soon learned that they could I mean that was obviously before prepaid correct it, 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 that was the, that was pretty much the model Olga that, yeah. that, that we utilized we utilized it sort of from I think it was around ni- 96 to 2004 and then as I say the you know the per second billing came in and, and kind of the model fizzled out yeah I can't remember when did pay as you go happen because that must have been a big boost for the not for you but for the industry no, I, I really can't remember. It's, yeah. it's too long back, but it, it must be. It must. Mm. It's at least it's ten years time. ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then um, did that business fizzle out? Or we sold you, it. We, we, on, it? We, we on sold it before it fizzled out. Okay. So, so we sold the the database, uh, which was really the 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 asset. Yeah. Um, to some company in the Eastern Cape, and they went on for a, for a couple of years longer. Um, but yeah, it you know um, it was a it was not only a very empowering model because we we had lots of vendors. We mm. you know I think at the at the peak we had twenty five thousand vendors around the country, okay. uh, and and they all made you know 
uh, a living out of it. Yeah. It, it was certainly not a, a way to riches, but but certainly they 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 were able to sustain uh, you know a, a, a monthly income from it. So, in terms of what you set out to do with the council of churches, that goal was achieved. Yeah, we were very happy. I mean, mm. for many years, you know, at at one point it became too big for council of churches. I think, if I remember, around. 2099-2000, the financial obligation for for the Council of Churches just to fund it Mm. was becoming too intense and and I had to find uh, private partners to to fund it, uh, which which I did and then that went on for a year or two and I bought them out and and eventually I had controlling interest and, 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 and so we built the business as a as a private business eventually. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And when did you exit? 2005. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I was sitting here with um, uh, the Hope and Hopkins people um, many, a couple of months ago here in the Oyster Box Hotel and okay. we were doing an interview and I was also asking you how do you fund a distillery in Cape Town and she said from um, high street lawyer money in London and it sounds like there's a similar path <laughs> happening along the line here but yeah I guess so you know you, you, I think you, you need a couple of lucky breaks yeah. in your life of course and, and my, I had a I had a very good neighbour in Johannesburg Clem Santa you'd obviously know him and we often drink tea across the fence, and and Clem would which would, tea Hendrix tea or uh, no no that was proper old. Uh, so tell us tell us quickly about the Hendrix tea here. At oh, the we Oyster had some box. Hendrix tea yesterday at the Oyster Box, um, which got served in proper uh, with a proper teapot and 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 tea cups. Uh, it's a cold it's a cold tea, uh, and you get the <laughs> cucumber and the. Uh, and the ice on the side, so you you might want to put it inside. But it's it's a wonderful way of of drinking a GNT at the oyster box. <laughs> okay. um, but no, that was a good old five roses tea, um, like we're having now. What like we're having now? Yeah. And so uh, so Clem used to emphasise to me. He said there's there's three things that you need in business. You need a good horse. Without a horse, you go nowhere. You need a good horse that is smooth and, and, and rideable he says but without the jockey the person that drives that horse you go nowhere and, and that kind of stuck in my mind and I've always tried to find <clears throat> the right jockeys to, to drive the business forward and mm. to, to make sure that, uh, that, there's, uh, that there's passion uh, and, and the right attitude to, uh, to, to, uh, um, to, to give impetus to, to the business. And, yeah. and we've been lucky with, with, with some very good staff throughout the years. Uh, we've built um, a couple of businesses that, that uh, can be attributed mostly to the staff yeah. than anything else. So, so what happens when, when a successful city boy ends up in hazy view on a farm? Um, you've obviously got the macadamias, but you soon, like me, I guess you start itching and you say you can add more value. You can't just be a boor. Uh, well, you know, you get you get withdrawal symptoms initially. So, yeah. so I had I went through a year of uh, of uh, going back to Joburg quite frequently um, because I I kind of missed the pace and yeah. and and the the, the dynamic 
interaction with people, which which you don't get on a macadamia farm. Mm. Um, you've got to create everything. So, so that was a that was a, a transition period. But once you once you get over it, you don't want to leave the farm. Yeah. So uh, that's a blessing. Um, but no, it's sort of in in late 2006 we decided to put in a spa uh, so we we toured the Midlands and we toured the uh, the the Gauteng areas with all the spas and this sounds this sounds very much like the guys that want to start breweries they start touring breweries and yeah, indeed, brewery yeah. after brewery after brewery <laughs> and <laughs> so touring the spa must, I mean your wife must have been delighted no, no, she loved it and now, of course she's the she's the architect of, of many of these uh, she's got the the eye for detail and yeah. And, and, and she loves designing things. So uh, we soon realized that we couldn't we couldn't develop a destination spa in a remote area like Hazy View without offering accommodation. Okay. And at the same time, you then have to feed the people. And so uh, this led to us creating a little boutique hotel, um, which we completed in early 2007. Okay. So that's that's now ten years old, and and it's that was initially a, an uphill battle. We just got it going in 2008 when the when the worldwide economic crash happened, and and then nobody had money, and uh, most of our overseas guests disappeared. So we went through some testing times in in the late uh, 29s, 2010s. Um, but it's a it's a it's a wonderful business. It's a um, it's a business where you meet uh, really fantastic people mm. from all over the world. Uh, people are typically on holiday, are typically uh, relaxed, happy, and as long as you give them uh, a value for money, they 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 they're very appreciative. And, yeah. and, and so uh, that uh, is something money can can't buy. You know the the um, the gratitude of of our happy guests is yeah. is kind of what we live for. But surely, I mean, I, I can't imagine building a boutique at hotel and then it's just full tomorrow. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> How does that work? No, no. It didn't get full. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, because we, by then we had probably spent all of our, all of our uh, savings onto development and it, it cost uh, quite a lot of money. Um, we we then had to are, do. Are you saying that the money, the, the the telecoms money, ran out? Of course it ran out. <laughs> okay. Of course it runs out. <laughs> you, you spend you spend double what you budget for, yeah, yeah. and uh, there's so many unforeseen expenses yeah. in in especially the hotel business with issues like maintenance and upgrades and mm. and uh, and kind of. The requirements that that guests have that 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 you don't see initially. Um, so so to to uh, uh, augment our our meager marketing budget, we started doing trade exchanges with many magazines. All well, the magazines. What, what does it mean? What is a trade exchange? So we would invite a, a journalist for a weekend, and we would uh, uh, give them great food and ply them with good liquor and give them spa treatments and tell them how wonderful they are and then hope that they would write us a nice article uh, okay. uh, which mostly happened yeah. and so we built up a, a, a great following of um, over the years very many loyal um, customers and followers uh, that um, that have kind of helped to shape the business 
uh, and uh, yeah, and so over the years it's become uh, it's grown and it's become uh, a little easier to, then to do trade exchanges. Magazines have also, of course, fallen by the wayside to yeah. a large extent. So, so we we we've been forced into social media, mm-hmm. um, and we we're getting a little grey around the edges. So, so we had to bring in uh, the kids and 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 their expertise on yeah. on, on how to do Facebook and Instagram stuff. and, and yeah. so on. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this was obviously the day before bloggers and all that. Uh, I mean, indeed. And uh, are the bloggers all knocking on your doors now? The bloggers, the bloggers have taken over where the journalists have left yeah. off. I think. Um, yeah. So yeah, we we get lots of requests for for blogs, um, uh, which which we carefully scrutinise, mm. and, and so uh, we we utilise them. Um, but we we do a lot of a lot of uh, uh, social media marketing ourselves these days. Okay, and uh, back to the macadamia farm. So, how do you add value to the macadamias now? Um, so, macadamias. Or is it mostly export? Macadamias typically get export get exported either nut in shell, yeah. so in the hard shell, or as kernel. Because it's cheaper for the Chinese to. To open them up. Well, there's a there's a kind of a notion in in the East where Chinese people like to eat a handful of what they call happy nuts every day, and so what the processors do is they they cut a little slit yeah. in the in the nut that you can open with a key or a or a twenty cent piece or something, um, and you just kind of wedge it open. Um, we we're struggling to add that value. We're struggling to find that kind of technology locally, so that we can cut that make make that little cut. We've tried to develop the local market, um, but it's a difficult market. It's considered a, a premium product, um, where uh, you know we we could we could probably command a price of around 150 rand a kg for kernel in South Africa mm. whereas in the export market it sells for approximately $20 a kg so you can see there's there's, there's quite a big differential between mm. between the local market and the export market yeah. our, our son took it a step further he um, uh, during his holiday vax uh, he used his mother's blender and he started making a paste first and then lo- uh, later on a, a nut butter like a peanut butter um, which he started selling in the Stellenbosch uh, slow markets and, and and market days and and that started getting traction uh, he then after he finished his studies he said he's going to take a, a, a he's going to take a, a, a year uh, to see if he can get this business going and uh, this is um, I think four or five years ago so He's been growing butternut uh, quite successfully over the years, and he's got a little factory in in the pole. Okay. And uh, he's starting to export, and he's doing quite well. He's got them into uh, into sachets and into jars and into bottles, and he's into pick and pays and discams. Okay. And so he's 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 understood the the value add a lot better than than we've been able to do it. Uh, we have a little little retail pot stall on the farm. Where we sell all sorts of yeah. macadamia products from 
from oil to butters to to uh, biscuits and brittle and and nuts and so on and so forth and and it's doing quite well but of course we only have our guests and the yeah. passing trade there. I mean if I think of Macadamias and Mpumalanga I think of H.L. Hall and Sons. Of course. For me yes. they were one of those pioneers in, in adding value and I guess owning the whole district but the farm store was always a, a massive attraction and I believe it's it's grown beyond it's grown anything. phenomenally they, I've recently attended a presentation where the the Paris office of Halls and Sons presented a paper on on the avocado exports into Europe which is phenomenal it's what, just what is the Paris office of Halls and their Paris office is their marketing office oh, into Europe they have an office yeah so so that uh, I mean Hall and Sons are really the pioneers and yeah. still front leaders wow okay I mean I, I went my dad and I drove to this must be 20 30 years ago drove to to the research farm in Nelspruit to learn about pecans and we ended up and had a look at Atoll Hall and Sun and some of the orchards the guy took us around but obviously it was even then it was Max and not not pecans oh yes yeah, yeah. Max and leeches they still yeah very much into leeches yeah um, and the leechy business is a problem well the leechy business you know as I told you earlier we we inherited this this little orchard of leeches which has always been good for cross-pollination. So the bees love the lychees because they're sweet and they're full of nectar, yeah. um, whereas the macadamias only have pollen. And so we, uh, you know, at, at in, in springtime when, when both flower, uh, the bees love being among the lychees and then they, they cross-pollinate into the, into, the, uh, into the macadamias, which, which is essential. And, Bee topic is another one that's a big problem in this country worldwide, and and so it's something that that's very close to our heart. Uh, so for many years we kind of kept the leeches really just to pollinate for the bees, the the, the max. <laughs> um, but we got to a point a, a couple of years ago where our leechy our leechy harvest comes into into harvest time between the 15th and the 24th of December every year, which is an impossible time. So. You have no processes that want to work, no exporters are available. Uh, you have no labour. Uh, when you have labour, they they kind of tired. On the party spirit. And they're on the party spirit. So, so it's a difficult time of the year. Yeah. And um, and we just got to the point where we said, that's it. After this harvest next January, we're going to bulldoze and put Max in. And then I. <laughs> I had a so how many trees are there? I mean, there's about 1,500 trees. 1,500 trees. Yeah. So at that time, I I had a, a a knee problem, and I went to see an old orthopod friend of mine in Joburg, and I told him, you know, this is what I'm going to do, and he said, no, 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 you can't do it. You know, you've got this biomass of of trees, and they're 20 years old, and how how can you be so so heartless? And you know, people don't do things like that, and it made me feel really guilty. But he makes um, apple cider, so he suggested I in his garage, hopefully. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, at yeah, home. in his yeah, at home. In his okay. not on his uh, farm. And no, no, no. He's uh, he's a hobbyist. Yeah. So he sent me down to the distillery guys in in uh, Centurion. in Centurion, and he said, "Go and talk to those guys and see what they can offer you." 
So I duly went off and I spoke to a guy called Andre Barnard and he went, he, he took my lychee orchard and he made lots of sums on the board <laughs> and he said, no, 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 you'll make millions out of gin. I said, no, man, I know nothing about gin. I drink whiskey. You know, this is, this is for upper class English women. You know, I, I don't understand them anyway. So I went back home and I, I talked it over with Ilse and she thought it was, wasn't such a bad idea. So in the next month we booked a course and both of us went to Distalik and we did one course and then another course and then a third course. And, and eventually we, we said, okay, well, let's buy a little five litre still and see what comes out of it. And so that December, two years ago, we spent um, experimenting and making mampur and mm-hmm. making all sorts of concoctions and nearly burnt my eyelashes off and <laughs> you know I had an explosion in my Weber and yeah, all sorts of exciting uh, uh, adventures but eventually we said okay well maybe it's worth it and and then we, we started the whole process of of setting up and getting the right equipment and uh, applying for a license and, mm. you know so it's it's a long drawn out process but uh, yeah so now we've got uh, Duke Jin and uh, we're very excited about it and, mm. uh, it's um, it's a different gin we you know somebody earlier this week that we spoke to said it's a real sipping gin which which I thought was quite an apt description of it um, it's a it's a gin that is very smooth it's very floral um, you, you you smell and taste the lychee immediately it's it's uh, you know the, the whole process for us was was to um, to process our lychee harvest which is around a hundred tons every year and uh, the process then entails uh, depipping the lychees which is messy it's you know, there's lots of bees and, and 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 lots of stickiness on the floor and lots of people shouting and screaming, um, and that goes on for a month or two. We then uh, we then end up with about uh, fifty thousand liters of juice, and that juice then goes into the fermentation tanks. Uh, we ferment it with uh, with champagne yeast, uh, which takes about. Uh, 10 days to a drum, to a drum of a thousand liters. Uh, then the stripping process starts, uh, where we where we strip the the initial alcohol out of the out of the fruit wine. Mm. That's very slow because we only have a, a 200 liter albumic still. Um, but it's a it's a wonderful process, and and you know you start to get the the, the, the nose of the the lychee coming out of the uh, out of the uh, the alcohol. Uh, we then do a, a second distillation through um, a fractional still, uh, and then on the on the third run we add the botanicals, which uh, for us is uh, the, the the most pronounced for us is uh, rose geranium, which we grow as well, and and ginger. Just explain the rose geranium. Well, we we grow hybrid roses, yeah. which is one of our signatures at the lodge course because Ills wanted always wanted to have roses um, and and then the rose geranium is a, is not a rose plant per se it's it's a very 
fragrant plant, mm-hmm. um, uh, but it smells like roses. Okay. You, you, you smell that the, 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 the typical smell of a of a garden rose, uh, which we don't have. Of course, the you know the the roses that we have are, are hybrid teas, so they're pretty roses, but they they don't so that way they had virtually no smell. Um, but the rose geranium has has got a, that very floral sweet smell. Uh, that is complementary to to the lychees. The ginger breaks it down a little bit, so so it makes it a little bit more earthy. Um, and those wonderfully complement each other uh, on the palate. And then you get the dryness of the ginger and juniper berries coming through on the back palate. Uh, typically, typical of a of that that you do expect mm-hmm. of a gin. Um, so it's been it's been a it's been a journey for us, but it's been a very exciting journey. It's a you know, it's something that we strive for, as you said earlier on, is to, to find ways in which we, we can add value on the farm to the stuff that we produce. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just as, a, just as an aside, um, the, the, the retail price of those happy nuts in the macadamia happy nuts in, in, in China. China is around $7 per 100 grams. So, so it, it's seventy dollars a, a mm. kg. So I can't complain about three hundred and ninety rand a kg here. Absolutely not. <laughs> but to what you get at the farm gate yeah. is is ten percent of that. If if that. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's the whole not problem. But I think it, traditionally the, the issue with the, with with the the primary producers is mm. that that they price takers and and not price makers. And, exactly. And we're trying to. In, in the value-add um, business model is to kind of just not turn it around. Of course, you'd always be uh, uh, you'd always be subject to to the demands of and, and demands and supply of, mm. of that particular product in the market. But but certainly, the more value you add, the, the more value you can extract for for the farm grade, and that's really the, the, the object mm. of the exercise. Yeah. So just just quickly, these are these are. Um, buzzword that's doing its round and that's farm to table so would it be right to call your stuff farm to bottle oh to yes absolutely and we, except we, you're not making the bottle yes no no we're very proud of that so, <laughs> so you know in our restaurants for instance we 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 grow all the vegetables that we serve in, in our restaurants come okay. from the farm so and for us that's um, well, not such a big deal. More than 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 it's fresh, mm. um, it's organic because we know what goes into the soil and what gets put onto the onto the veggies. Um, uh, plus, you know, we we save an enormous amount of money mm. um, by having to buy in veggies. Yeah. Uh, so the, the 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 menu changes every day because the chefs. Need to go to the to the tunnel every morning and see what's see what's there. what they can harvest, and yeah. that's how they build the menus. And so the same principle I think applies to to the gin is that you know we we farm the lychees. That's at at this point in time, it kind of the the, the cost of the lychees disappears into the farming expenses, mm. and so so you almost have a, a zero base of of uh, primary input cost. Which is fantastic because every time I, I go out and I cost it, I need to pay 30 rand a kg, which makes it an impossible exercise. Mm. 
um, so, so yes, the farm to bottle for us is, uh, uh, I think, uh, in a sense, uh, a, a unique selling opportunity for us to say, well, you know, this is where it's grown, this is where it's processed and and bottled, and you know, uh, I counted the other day. I handle a bottle six times every for every every bottle that that goes through the distillery from taking it out the box to washing it to filling it to putting the cap on sealing it signing it putting it in a box putting that in a in six in a box um, it's it's a very labor intensive process yeah. but it's very rewarding yeah. yeah i always think we grew up on a farm to farm to table kind of in a farm-to-table area. If yes. I look at my extended family, we were, my, my parents were all farmers, my uncles and aunts, and you know whatever they couldn't eat, they put in a bottle and pickled it or you know did exactly, something. Yes. And my mom still, until the day she moved to 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 the retirement village in town, she had like ten deep freezers with all the stuff that she could have bottled, frozen, and you know, and in the holidays the guys would come and pick pick the little blackberries. Uh, Msorbo berries or the Nastachal and I mean she had tons and tons of this stuff and but it's you know for us farm to table wouldn't be trendy but if you're living in Cape Town or uh, London it, it, it you know it, it's something unique well I think it's becoming more so we see some of our international guests that arrive there with teenage children and they are amazed the children are amazed to see where a carrot comes from mm. or where a beetroot comes from <laughs> you know it's just they have they thought it comes out of the convenience store mm, mm, mm. yeah so the journey of of duke tell us about duke so duke is a duke uh, of, the duke of summerfield the duke of summerfield uh, duke is a is a young uh, hound uh, a hungarian visla uh, which arrived almost at the same time uh, that we went on to these, uh, these courses with uh, Distalique and the planning process. And so when we started thinking about a name for, for the gin, we thought that uh, the Duke of Summerfields would be apt and, uh, and, and hence, the, hence the bottle and the, and the, and the hound on the, on the bottle. Um, but he's become a, a wonderful mascot for, for the brand. Um, he probably perceives himself as the Duke of Summerfields. He's, mm. a, he's, a, he's, quite, he's quite real and uh, uh, we've, we've, we've kind of coined the slogan that the Duke, uh, the Duke Jin is, is your noble companion. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of just to play on the words of... of uh, uh, or the connotation uh, to bring him into the picture. Yeah, and when you landed on Sunday, so Andre's got, we must talk about the flying, passion for flying, he landed in his little, what do you call it? Uh, bonanza. Little bonanza and out popped Duke and uh, a few cases of gin and our first stop was Kensington and I say not Kensington Palace <laughs> where the, the Duke made a visit to Kensington Tops <laughs> which, were, which was quite a I guess quite an apt uh, first stop for the Absolutely. Duke Absolutely, no it's wonderful it's a, uh, you know there's, there's so many wonderful marketing connotations that you, mm. that you can add to it um, 
Yeah, I, I started flying when when we set up all these these little uh, stores for um, for the telephone business back in the early 2000s, uh, where we had literally uh, vendors in every little town around the country. Uh, from not only in vendor. Oh uh, no, from Bisho to. Uh, you know Margate and yeah. uh, every little town that we can and and it was impossible to visit them all and and so at at some point I said to my wife I I, I can't do this anymore I can't drive it's it's just killing me and I started renting a small plane and and that typically came with I don't know in those days a, a little female pilot and my wife wife wasn't too excited no. about the female pilot and me jetting off into the into the blue yonder and so. So I thought, well, maybe I'll just learn to fly myself. Yeah. <laughs> but it is a passion. I love it. It's a, it's, a, it's something that that really does give you wings, and you feel kind of free when mm. when you when you're in the clouds and uh, you know on your own. So. But it is also convenient. I mean, to fly from Hazy View, you had the a tailwind, but still, I mean, it took you what an hour or so to get here to Durban. It took us just over an hour, yeah. Mm. Whereas uh, a, a, a drive down Zululand is, is typically a, a full day affair, yeah. uh, and it's quite stressful. So uh, there's a saying in flying that uh, you have hours and hours of boredom interspaced with a few moments of terror, um, which sometimes does happen when you have bad weather. But but generally, um, flying is very safe, and, mm. and uh, yeah, we, it, it is very convenient. And I was surprised to see how many cases of, of Duke Gin you could fit in, into the... Yeah, I nearly miscalculated it. As I told you, I, when I took off from AZV, which is a grass strip, uh, it's about uh, 600 meters long, uh, and I only had Ilse and Duke in the plane, and I thought, why doesn't this thing want to get off the ground? I mean, it's not particularly hot. And as I got airborne, I thought, mm, you know, 10 boxes of Duke in the, in the back is probably... The weight and balance is probably not so good. <laughs> and, and just for the listeners, uh, Ilza and Andre are triathletes, so there's no extra weight on them. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, um, you know, the, the, the weight came from the from from, from the Duke, from the Duke <laughs> sitting in the back seat. Yeah, and uh, we we were, I was teasing you or chatting that you could fly around the country. I mean, your next stop could be in Kimberley, and you could visit. And, and sell a bit of gin there either with with a plane or with with uh, with an overland uh, trip and you could just do this full time and have your kids run summer field well we we hope so i mean we we at retirement age so we 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 uh, we're soliciting more and more of their assistance to to run the lodge our, our son-in-law is the general manager now so yeah. so that helps a lot and um yeah ills and i uh, plan to do uh a long road trip with a trailer and Duke, mm. and and Duke and lots of Duke in the back, yeah. uh, where, where we can just you know kind of have fun and yeah. uh, you know generally the the people that we meet in the industry, the retailers and 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 the users are all uh, wonderful, friendly people with a, with the same objective. So yeah. it, it's really a, a wonderful industry to be involved in. It is, but it is also hard work. I've, I've found, just like if you read Raymond Ackerman's books, he, you know, when he's on holiday and he goes into the supermarkets, the family doesn't always appreciate it. I tend to know every bottle store and every brewery around the country and I always disappear into, into whether it's in Saba, into the brewery. 
you know, that you can still like, justify. But when you start disappearing into bottle stores, the holiday becomes, uh, you know, a little bit of too much. It can become too much. That's true. I mean, you, you want, I, I guess one needs to know when to, when to switch off, mm. which is difficult when your passions and your lifestyle becomes very in, intermingled. Um, but I, I have a I have a wonderful doctor friend in in uh, Hazyview who is um, 75 and he still rides his bike and he still goes to his practice every day and he farms and he flies his aeroplane and mm. and 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 I think what I've learned from him is that that you need to remain active and remain involved in in your passions and and that kind of helps with uh, fighting your age yeah. and making sure that you live a, a, a good life yeah that is I mean it is and we I'm, I look forward to this weekend we're actually going to try and meet up in Franschhoek this weekend um, Andre's son is getting married and we're flying off to be at a gin festival at the Sara Hotel yes that's so wonderful we might even be able to make a date maybe visit Ziggy's in in in, in Franschhoek in Franschhoek yes that would be fantastic yeah. do something ginny um, for the listeners if they want to catch you they can it's Summerfields it's summerfields.co.za or, or duke.co.za. Okay. It's very easy. Oh, did you get Duke? How did, oh, you, yes. get, how oh, yeah, did you get that? Yeah, yeah. With a lot of money? Or? No, no, no. We were just... We were, it's it's dukejin.co.za. It's Duke all registered, Jin. yeah. Okay. Not Duke. No, not Duke, no. Um, I was... Yeah, so in closing, I mean, the, the, there is a Duchess, which is obviously uh, Johannes, non-alcoholic gin. And I said to Johannes, um, there's only one other drink that I know and that is uh, Prince Prince Charles's uh, brand, beer brand and now uh, there's a Duke and a Duchess and well I wish you all the best and thank you I mean, we've thank had you. a lovely week in the trade and it's been received very well the dog has been received very well so it's been exciting it has been very exciting and thank you for your for your uh, involvement uh, it, it's really been an eye-opener for me to to uh, to see the reception uh, among the retailers and and obviously the re- relationships that mm. you've cultivated over many years and you know uh, that that adds enormous value mm. to to us as a brand and so thank you very much for yeah. that pleasure and uh, yeah we look forward to meeting up in the trade thank you thank you Olga.